and thanks worship team. Boy, it is such a joy to have you with us this morning at Harvest Church. My name is Kenan Vaughn. I've got the uh, distinct privilege of being the uh, lead pastor, senior pastor of Harvest Church. Um, and I tell you, uh, don't take that lightly. Um, every day uh, I feel the, um, the glorious weight of that stewardship, and it is very humbling. Um, if you can be assured of one thing, it's that it keeps me on my knees Uh, recognizing me and my inability to really steward that well. And yet the great joy to have a people who gather to worship together, um, that we might more deeply love Jesus together, uh, that God might use me in some way to inspire and shepherd, not alone, along with the elders, uh, you towards the green pastures of gospel awareness in your own life of living out of the overflow of Jesus in your lives, that we, none of us, would waste the stewardship of our salvation, that we would live according to the grace we've been given, amen? So there's no more humbling privilege in my life. Um, said that when I got married, it was true. Said that when I became a dad, it was true. Uh, and now as a pastor, it's just even more so true. And so I appreciate your prayers and your love, and I just want to tell you that I do love you so much. Uh, If y'all meet me in Luke 18, that's where we're going to be this morning. We are now on our fifth core value. Isn't that crazy? Our fifth core value, and it is prayer. So we're going to talk a little bit about prayer this morning. Luke 18, as you're turning to meet me there, I'll just um, add my thanksgiving and gratitude to the veterans. Um, So glad we got to express our gratitude um, via Uh, Ovation this morning, I also had two grandfathers who fought in World War II, Um, one uh, who we affectionately called Mickey, um, who fought uh, in the infantry, and uh, one who we called Pop, uh, who was uh, a pilot, a bomber pilot, and um, gosh, I love those men so deeply, and just think about the sacrifices you and they and so many others have made, that we can even be here freely worshiping our God together. I mean, this doesn't get to happen everywhere around the world, and so I just want to add my thanksgiving, and and let's just give a hand for all those vets one more time this morning. It's also um, Adoption Awareness Month. I'm not sure how many of you guys knew that. Um, This whole month, and one thing we want to do is uh, just be cognizant of that, be praying for that. I don't know what all God will allow our church to be involved in as far as his redemptive purposes on this earth, but there's one thing I pray that he would allow us to be intricately involved in, and that would be um, the adoption of orphans uh, into Christian families many times over. Amen? Many times over. And so I pray that our church will be a part of supporting that effort um, getting uh, knee-deep in the midst of that effort and, and certainly praying uh, for that effort. So this is Adoption Awareness Month. We're going to make note of that every Sunday and be praying for the adoption of those orphans in our city around the world um, and the foster care system um, into godly, loving families where they may be shared the love of Christ. What a great picture of the gospel. Well, Luke 18, we're going to be talking again about prayer. And um, just to give you a little context, we won't go all the way back and read, but if you just look back at Luke 17 in verse 20, just to give us a little context and set the stage, uh, just to show you what conversation is taking place, verse 20 of Luke 17, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus answered them. So again, what was he being asked? When is the kingdom of God going to come? 
And he answers by first um, uh, dismantling their idea that the kingdom of God is going to necessarily come by force. He says it's going to be growing within you. But then he does not apologize or compromise the fact that he will come again and bring a literal kingdom with him. And so he says, um, you'll know. Don't worry about him who says, look over here, or her who says, look over there. You'll know as the coming of uh, uh, the, one, the Son of Man who will come um, in the sky, everyone will see. And he goes on to say in those last 10 verses, it'll be a time that um, God will bring forth judgment. And so he's talking about these end times and the eschatological nature of the second coming of himself, the Son of God. And in light of that, and in that same conversation, we start chapter 18. And so pray with me, and then we'll read these words. Father, I pray that you would just take our minds and think through them this morning, that you'd take my mouth and speak through it. Lord, I pray that you would indeed anoint me this time uh, for your purposes as we uh, imbibe deeply in um, the truth that lest we pray, we'll lose heart. And so we cling to you in prayer because we love you and we seek your justice on this earth. God, would that truth abound in our hearts this morning? Uh, God, I pray that you would increase in this short time and that I would decrease. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And so Jesus goes on in Luke chapter 18, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought, underline it, always to pray and not lose heart. Why, in light of a conversation about the coming of the Son of Man, must Jesus say, always pray and do not lose heart? You guys see in the picture? Why would he stop to tell them a parable about not losing heart in light of the coming of the Son of Man? That's an exciting day. That's a day we greatly anticipate. But let me tell you the temptation to lose heart from that day to this. You know how, you know how long it's been? It's been 20 centuries. 20 centuries have passed till, since Jesus told this story, and we are sitting here gathered today talking about it, retelling this story. And what's been the complexion of human history over those 20 centuries? Well, there's been all kinds of wars. There's been hate. There's been great injustice, racism of all kinds, um, slavery, human trafficking, persecution, especially of God's people of the church, martyrdom towards that end. A matter of fact, in the 20th century alone, there's been more martyrs than the other 19 centuries combined. Put your mind around that for a moment. And so why do we need a parable on keep praying, don't lose heart? Well, what's the tendency of the believer who is enduring and suffering great persecution and the Lord is tearing in his coming? The tendency is to lose heart. And so Hebrews 10, 37 through 39 says, yet the day will come and he who is coming will come and will no longer delay. And he says, the righteous one will live by faith. We'll have to live by faith that he is going to do what he said he's going to do and come. The righteous one will live by faith. But he who shrinks back brings displeasure to my soul. And so the author of Hebrews writes, but we are of those who do not shrink back and are not destroyed. We will live by faith for the preservation of our souls. Amen? Galatians 6, 9 would say it this way. Um, for we, if we do not lose heart in doing good, we will reap in due time if we do not grow weary. And so 
Jesus gives us the solution to enduring a time of evil and injustice and persecution and martyrdom as we wait for his glorious appearing. And it's one word, pray. Lest we lose hope, he says, pray. Incidentally, why has Christ tarried? Why the delay? Is he forgetful of his promise? I see some of you shaking his hands. You're right. No, he's not forgetful. Is he passive? Is he lazy? Is he comfortable seated at the right hand? No. The reason he is delayed is he is merciful. He is merciful. Um, 2 Peter 3, 9 says, He is not slow, as some consider slowness in keeping his promise. Rather, he is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I like 2 Peter 3.15. It says, regard the Lord's patience. Regard the patience of the Lord as salvation. Because that's precisely what it is. The patience of the Lord is the salvation of the nations. And so as he tarries, we rejoice as salvation goes forth and we endure through prayer. How many of you guys are thankful that Jesus didn't come, let's say, 20 years ago. Because you in your lostness would have been eternally separated from God in hell. Anybody? How many are glad he didn't come 10 years ago? Anybody glad he didn't come five years ago? I see it down the road. You can't get that hand up fast enough. I like it. Anybody glad he didn't come one year ago? Anybody been saved in this last year? Gabe? Amen. Praise God. Listen, listen, in light of the war and evil and injustice and racism and slavery and in light of all that is wrong with this world, our Lord tarries and we rejoice, but we do not lose hearts. We cling to him in prayer. You see the context of the parable now? He knows there's going to be a mystery, Paul would call it six times, the church age where the gospel would go forth and Jew and Gentile alike would have a chance to repent. And in his mercy, he is patient. But the day is coming. Um, I love what C.S. Lewis writes in Mere Christianity, that Gabriel licks his lips to blow his trumpet, to inaugurate the coming of our king, in judgment. And that at any moment he looks to um, blow his horn and the souls under the altar in Rev 5 say, how long, O Lord, must we wait till you avenge our blood? And Jesus says, hold, hold. And Gabriel is ready. And for those of us here, that day is coming and that is not the day where we choose to lie down because it has been impossible to stand up. That's not the day for choosing which side we are on. That's the day for recognizing which side we have chosen. This is the day to choose. And he is patient. And he is merciful. So as Joshua says, we choose this day whom we serve. And we wait. The trumpet will blow. Christ will come again. We pray lest we lose heart. Watch this in verse two. Jesus says, and here's the story. 
in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. By the way, that's some kind of a crooked judge. You get the picture? Didn't fear God. It's not God nor man can move him to justice. Yet, verse 3, there's a widow. There's a, a lowly woman. One with no power and no authority. I want you to see it. In that city who kept coming to him. Circle kept coming. Draw some kind of an arrow from kept coming to always pray, not lose heart. She kept coming and kept coming and kept coming. And here was her plea. Are you ready? Give me justice against my adversary. You see her plea? It's not for wealth, it's not for name, it's not for security, it's, it's not even for a freedom from all that hinders, it's for justice. This lowly woman with no power or authority wants justice over her adversary. And she's persistent, she holds to that prayer. And for a while, verse four, he refused. But after he, afterward, he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, though I'm crooked, is the day is long. Verse 5, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll give her justice. This lowly woman is persistent. She'll get her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Verse 6, and the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. What has he said? Because this widow keeps coming and coming and coming and coming, and her persistence for justice, she'll get it. That's what the unrighteous judge has said. Jesus said, hear what the unrighteous judge said, verse 7, and, and so we're going to contrast, and will not God, in other words, if the unrighteous judge will give justice to the lowly one who in her persistent keeps coming and coming and coming. Will not a righteous and holy God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Is that true? Is that true of God's people? Do we cry out day and night for justice? By the way, you're already seeing the writing on the wall. I'm already feeling it as I, as I read this, this parable that um, I'm no longer not sure whether Christ is coming again. I'm starting to be not sure if I'll remain faithful to call out for justice amidst a crooked and a brave generation. Do you see the tension that's developing? Jesus is beginning to bring to the picture this truth. Watch. Will he delay long over them? Will God delay longer than them? The implications, no. In verse 80 specifically says, I tell you, he will give justice. By the way, doesn't say comfort, doesn't say security, doesn't say prosperity. Talk to John the Baptist. He'll give justice to them, and the word speedily, the word is takos. And the word means this, when it comes, it'll come in haste. Doesn't mean it'll come near to when he speaks these words as we see nearness. It means when justice comes, it'll come quickly watch nevertheless when the son of man comes Jesus says don't worry I will come 
But when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And in that statement, he completely turns the tables from disciples who were saying, when will you come? How will, you know? How will we know? And he says, well, you'll know. Trust me, you'll know. But in the meantime, there's going to be all kind of hell on earth. And the temptation will be to lose heart, so you don't need to worry so much about when I'm coming as much as you know that I'm coming. And in the meantime, you pray, lest you lose heart. You see? Jesus says, I'll be here. I'll be right on time. Question is, when I come, where will my people be? Where will my people be? Will they have lost heart? Will they be simply engaging in the business of this world? Not mindful of the perspective of eternity that stands in front of them and the lostness of those around them and those in this world. Will they be mindful? Will they be engaging in spiritual warfare, laboring on their knees, clinging to me in prayer? Where will the faithful be when I return? I'm coming. What will you be doing? I'll tell you, there's, there's so many passages in the scripture on prayer. It's just one of the mega themes because we need God at the baseline. So uh, he's given us the gift of prayer, communicating with him through prayer. And so there are so many places we could have gone for this core value. And I chose this small parable that's not often taught because, uh, frankly, it inspires me. We're going to have uh, ample time, uh, God willing, if he tarries. Uh, even this spring as we get into teaching in the Gospels, there's going to be all kind of teaching on how to pray. But this morning, it's more about that we pray. Uh, to be honest, it just inspires me, um, but, and I need that inspiration because, frankly, it's easy to get caught up in the things of this world. <clears throat> it's easy to um, become about my business and my kingdom, and it's easy to go, for me, into survival mode where I just make sure I'm taken care of, my family's taken care of, uh, we're getting around, we're doing what we need to do, and, and not in missional mode, not living with an eternal perspective, living in the future reality of Revelation 7-9. It's easy. It's easy to lose heart in light of the spiritual darkness that's all around us, 7,000 people groups that are unreached. Easy. By the way, let me make it more personal. It's easy to, live, uh, to lose heart in light of my own spiritual sin. That my own wretchedness uh, beckons me often. That, um, that I'm like Paul in Romans 7 who says, I continue to do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I do want to do. Oh, what a wretched man I am. And I'm like, God, I feel that. Easy to lose heart. Conversely, it's tough. It's tough to live with a kingdom vision. It's tough to, to, here's, it's tough to hold the things of this world loosely including my life, and cling tightly to the things of God in his kingdom. That's tough. And so we pray, lest we lose hope. Amen? We pray, lest we lose hope. Um, J.C. Ryle, my favorite quotes on prayer, he said, prayer is the life breath of our soul. Prayer is the life breath of our soul. I think he's exactly right. I think he nailed it. Prayer is, think about that, the life breath of our soul. Without prayer, our soul dies a slow death. The life breath is prayer. 
that we, we have one that we go to that heals, forgives, sustains, that we go to him through the medium of prayer. Um, <clears throat> my hope is that the, the more deeply we become rooted in the gospel as a people, as a church, the more we will be driven to prayer. And by the way, I think, I think that happens. I think the more God's people are rooted in a gospel awareness of their own lives and what's going on around them, the more we pray. And, and here's how I think it works theologically. I think that the deeper, and so in way of application, let me give you this in way of application. Here's how I think this works. Um, the more that I am aware of the outworking of the gospel that's happening within me and through me, the more I have these longings. We could call them spiritual longings. Some of you will recognize these very quickly. Um, I think we have longings out of our brokenness, and I think we have longings out of our compassion. The deeper the gospel roots itself in my heart, I will have spiritual longings out of my brokenness and out of my compassion. Longings, a need for God. And so what are these longings out of my brokenness? Well, in my brokenness, I'm desperately in need of his mercy and grace, which brings forgiveness. I'm in need of his love, which brings healing. And I'm in need of his presence, which, listen, brings freedom. And it does. And I'm in need of his promises, which bring hope. You see, I've got longings that only God can answer. And then I've got these other longings. And I would say these other longings are birthed out of compassion. A compassion that was unfamiliar when I was a pagan but the more deeply I fall in love with Jesus, the more deeply I want others to know the forgiveness, the freedom, the healing, and the hope that comes in Christ. Amen? And the more helpless I feel to usher that knowledge into their life. So there's a longing birthed out of compassion. So number one, the more deeply the gospel reaches itself, I've got these spiritual longings that have, have birthed out of, uh, out of brokenness and out of compassion. Number two, those longings drive me to my knees. <clears throat> those longings drive me to my knees. Here's what I realize. Quickly, I realize I'm not able to be anyone's functional savior. And by the way, that starts with me. I got longings for freedom that in and of myself, I cannot provide for myself. There is no self-help I can give me which sets me free and gives me life in Christ and frees me from the enslavement to my sin. I'm unworthy as a savior of my own soul. I need help. I need a redeemer. I need one who would die in my place for my sin, offer his righteousness for my sinfulness, and free me. By the way, we know him. His name is Jesus. Amen. His name is Jesus. And by the way, I quickly realize, as much as I would long to give hope, freedom, forgiveness, and uh, healing to others, I can't be their savior either. I'm no one's savior. And so what I realize is that only Christ can do for us, do for me, and do for all of you, and do for others what we can't do for ourselves. And so I'm driven to my knees that he would bring his salvation to the nations, that he bring justice, 
So the deeper the gospel roots itself, the deeper I've got these longings awakened, longings that I never previously had, longing for freedom from my sin, longing for others to know Christ as I know him. And so I'm driven to my knees in prayer. And here's number three. Here's what I find on my knees in prayer. Are you ready? I find in prayer that Jesus sustains me. I find in prayer that Jesus strengthens me. And I find in prayer that Jesus satisfies me. That he sustains He strengthens, he satisfies. What I mean by sustains is that in the midst of a crooked generation, in the midst of injustice, in the midst of all kinds of evil, in the midst of selfishness and pride in my own heart, My heart that can at times be a factory of idols. He sustains me in that he he lifts my sights from appetite, um, income, and possessions. He lifts my sights to him. And the perspective of his coming sustains me in this day. And he strengthens me that in this day, with this race he's given me to run, I lose heart. And so as Isaiah 40 says, he lifts me up and places me on eagle's wings that I may not grow weary, that I may run the race set before me. Strengthens me to live according to the stewardship of my calling. He does the same for you in prayer. And he satisfies me. What I find the longer I know Jesus is that where my soul delights is in his presence. I'm a slow learner. I've been a Christian 20 years. And I'm just now in these last few years learning that where my soul absolutely awakens is when I delight in him in prayer. I can't unpack that theologically for you in a few minutes, but I can give you an illustration. My family, we love the Cosby show. I don't know if anyone else in here loves the Cosby. We love them. I'm thankful they do the reruns. I don't know what we're going to do when they quit doing the reruns of the Cosbys. Um, we love them. On, on, and so, so we tape them, and on Friday nights, uh, we have kind of a family night, and the boys, without fail, ask to watch a Cosby. And so um, I get on the recliner, and literally, my three oldest boys make a beeline for the recliner. I mean, it's, it's comical. They are diving headlong, like just upside down, re- jockeying for position. This recliner is large. Matter of fact, we call it the cuddler, affectionately. Um, it can hold one and a half easy. Two, maybe. Four, not so much. One's in my lap. One's squeezed beside me. And there's one that's just always kind of coming over shoulder and across my neck awkwardly. That's just, that's the way we view the Cosby. Um, <clears throat> And as we watch this show, here, here's what I feel. Um, these guys, we love to, to, uh, to laugh together. And, and by the end of the show, they are always pressed so closely to me that I'm usually sweating. It's hard to breathe. Like, they just keep pressing closer and closer and closer and closer. And uh, by the way, it wouldn't make any sense except that I had the thought the other day. I, I literally had like a flashback. And I remember when I was a kid, you know what I used to do? I used to go into my father's bedroom. 
um, late at night, just before my bedtime, I'd brush my teeth, and I'd sneak, I'd just sneak down the hall, hope I could avoid notice from my mother, and I'd run in, jump on his bed, and he was always lying there. Usually the TV was on, and it was something boring, you know, like 60 minutes to a kid, or the news, or I mean, just something I had no interest in. Well, um, I would always crawl up to dad, and, and he laid in a way where he was perfectly positioned to see the TV. And so I would crawl up, and I would just put my head right here, just kind of right on it, right here between his stomach and his chest. And I'd always put my head there, and I'd lay horizontal, which gave me a, a, no way to view the TV. I mean, I was kind of like this, kind of viewing upside down. But for me, I didn't care about seeing the TV. I loved laying my head on my father's chest. I loved feeling the up and down of his breathing. I loved that I could literally hear his heart beating. I could literally hear it. And I always felt so warm and so comfortable and so secure and so at peace. And I just wanted to be right there in dad's presence. And so I think about my boys and how they press into me. And I remember that as a son, I pressed into my father because I found something in his presence that I couldn't find anywhere else. And so when those boys press in, I don't just allow them. I pull them tighter and tighter till I can hardly breathe because what I want them to know is that I love them. I am here for them. And I'll always be. And when I view prayer, I believe that we have a joy and a comfort and a delight as we press into our God in prayer. And I think God delights in bringing us close that he might whisper into our ears, I'm here, I care, and I'll never leave you nor forsake you. We delight in prayer. It's our chance to feel our Father's heartbeat. He said, you can call me Abba, Father. And so he satisfies us. Jesus said, always keep praying, lest you lose heart. Um, let me say, I thought about this week. Um, I think you guys know this. Satan doesn't fear you and I in and of ourselves. You know that? Um, even on your best day, even, even in light of your deepest desires to serve the Lord, um, in and of your own strength, Satan is somewhat unconcerned. And so what he whispers into the ear of the people of God is, he's not really there, he doesn't really care, and you don't really need him anyway doing just fine. And he mitigates against our leaning into our Father in prayer with those three lies. And by the way, if you're not praying, and what I mean by praying is not if you're not uh, praying before your meal, if you don't uh, say you're now I lay me down to sleep, I mean if you're not pressing into our Father in prayer because your soul is desperate for his presence, then probably you're buying into one of these three lies. Not really believing he's there. Or yeah, he's there, but how could he really care about me? Or is your own functional savior, you're doing okay by yourself. Don't really need him. 
if Satan can distract you with one of those three lies, and I think most of us he does, he's not overly concerned with your desires to serve the Lord. But when you tether yourself to God through prayer, when the umbilical cord between you and God is prayer, and you lean into his strength, and so that in your weakness, he becomes strong in you, that his grace is sufficient for your needs, his power becomes made perfect in your weakness, then Satan fears what you, empowered by the Holy Spirit, might do to bring glory to our God. And so as a church, our core value is to be a people on our knees. That we might fulfill the longings of our own brokenness. I hadn't arrived. And by the way, if you're thinking you hadn't, that you're in great company. None of us have. We desperately need his forgiveness today, just as we did yesterday. We need his healing today. We need his hope today. And we need his presence. And so we're a people on our knees. And by the way, our hearts ache for others to know him who we have found is the great joy and delight of our hearts. And so we're on our knees out of compassion. And on our knees, we find strength, we find paradigm and sustenance, and we find delight. So we're people who are going to pray. Are you with me? Until justice comes. By the way, is it coming? It's coming. How do you know it's coming? Jesus says, don't worry. Justice is coming. Let the people of God long for the things of God in prayer until he comes. How will that look at Harvest Church? Um, We're going to do several things. Um, Number one, we're going to pray for one another. And um, to some degree, that's all of us. If you fill out the card and drop it in the basket that, that has the information, you'll get an email, as, as uh, Brother Steve mentioned, that every week, um, every week we send out an email, and it's a prayer email. We send one that has the songs we'll sing in the country so that we can prepare our families in worship. We send another that's a prayer email, that you can be praying for the needs of the body. We send that every Wednesday. And that's for all of us to be praying for one another. But for those that... Become members, because this is just the only way we can really organize this. To those that say, I'm going to be an active, engaged member of this body. We actually ask for a commitment to pray for one another in the body. And we actually put something in your hands. On, on, the, on, on the day that you become a member, or at our first membership meeting, which is coming in late January, our first me- we're going to actually put a, a directory of all the members. Right now we have 76 members at Harvest Church. We're going to put a, a directory of all the members in your hands with their pictures and information. And what we're going to say is, could we all take some time every single day, whether it's you read uh, the name of a couple in the morning and, um, and as you brush your teeth, you pray for God's purposes to come alive in their life, or whether it becomes five minutes of your quiet time, or maybe it's even half an hour, but that you labor in prayer for the body of Christ. I believe four things happen. I believe, A, you get to know people's faces and names. How are we supposed to be a family if we don't know each other? Right, But if the members of this body are praying every day, guess what? We will know one another. You'll see guys, you don't know anything else about them other than that you've been laboring for them in prayer. And by the way, that's number two. You'll be excited to get to know people. It postures you towards getting to know people when you've been praying for them. It's exciting. See guys all the time I've been praying for and I just, Hank! Like I just, hey! He's, whoa, whoa, what's going on, man? Sorry, I'm just excited to see you. But when you've been praying for someone, that happens. Um, thirdly, it's very hard to gossip and slander 
and backbite about those you're praying for. And Satan tears apart the church with backbiting and slander and gossip. So we will go to spiritual war against that by praying for one another. Sometimes in your prayer you may go, wow, this person's hard to pray for, which tells you I need to seek reconciliation with them. I need to do it now. Um, and, so, and, and then fourthly, it gives a spiritual covering to our entire body, which, which brothers and sisters, if we're going to be a gospel-driven, disciple-making church, Satan will oppose this. And so we had better be a people that are covered in prayer. Amen? So we'll pray for one another. We'll pray for our city. Uh, how are we going to do that? Our uh, harvest groups. When we start in February, our harvest groups, geographical groups coming together, ministry groups coming together, we'll meet uh, six times a year just to pray for a movement of the gospel in these areas we live, these areas that we labor in ministry with those that are on mission with us. And we'll birth that thing, Matthew 9, in prayer, and we're going to let the Holy Spirit lead it. We're not going to try to micromanage or control how you go on mission. We're going to let the Spirit of God lead you. We're going to ask you and invite you and equip you to be Christians. How's that feel? I hope it's a little scary. I think, I think, I think being a Christian is a little scary. I don't know exactly where he's going to lead me. and It's probably going to lead to places I'm uncomfortable. It might even lead to persecution. Amen! What did you sign up for? What invitation did you receive? If it wasn't, follow me. Die to yourself. Take up your cross. Come on. We won't compromise the invitation of our Savior. We're going to let him lead and we're going to all follow. We're going to take part in the great mission of God right here. And then in the nations. Well, if you've been in a worship service, every single service, we're going to direct our attention, at least for a few moments, to somewhere around the world where brothers and sisters are laboring for the gospel, where there's lost people that need to know him. And in the week, we're going to send out the email so that we can find that country and be learning about it and, and training our families and so that we can be a people that pray for the nations. Are you with me? What are we going to be doing as Harvest Church? And by the way, if there's a couple things we want to hang our hat on, until Jesus returns... If there's one thing that we will do, lest we lose heart, we'll pray. We'll pray. We'll pray for one another. We'll pray for our city. We will pray for the nations. We'll pray. Well, as you guys can imagine, I have, I have a hard time thinking about ending this service without us just taking a step towards our Father in prayer. And so what I'm going to invite you guys to do, um, I've left us a little time here, is to do what we've done before. We're going to huddle in twos, threes, fours, fives. I don't really care. And by the way, if you need to, you know, uh, jump to another seat to get around somebody, that's fine. Um, just want to invite us to have a time of prayer. I will lead us through this time of prayer. I'm going to give us something to pray for. We'll take a minute or two and pray. Um, by the way, if, if uh, and let me just say this, if you're here and you don't know the Lord, I'd invite you to just sit in one of these little prayer huddles and just listen. Listen to the heartbeat of those who call themselves sons and daughters of our God. Let me give you one other thing you can do. If you're here and you don't know the Lord, um, I'm going to ask a couple of our elders just to be in the back in the lobby. And you can either sit and listen to those who call themselves Christians. Listen to their privilege as they pray. Or come and talk to one of us about what it means to know God and to follow him. I'll be back there, several of our elders, and we would love to talk with you about how to get to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Our hearts break, and here's why. I want you to hear this. We can relate. 
we know exactly what it is to be hurting, to be lost, to be completely discontent, to be discouraged. I, but I know exactly what that feels like. And the hopelessness and helplessness of being there without a personal Savior whose name is Jesus. I would love to share my story. I'd love to hear yours, and I'd love to pray with you. And so we're going to do that in just a moment. Let me literally give you about 30 seconds to just kind of gather with one another. Uh, Twos, threes, fours, doesn't matter to me. And I'm going to lead us through a brief time of prayer. Lord, we offer up these prayers as a a family of families redeemed by your precious blood, imputed with your righteousness, adopted as your sons and daughters. And we lift up our heart's desire that you may become more in our lives and we may become less in our lives and that you may become more in our city that we might become less and that you might become more in our world, that your presence and your glory and your praise may literally fill the corners of the earth, that we see a glimpse today of the kingdom spreading that will be a shadow of the substance to come when you come again and bring judgment and bring justice and set up your kingdom here on this earth. Lord, as we await that day, we do so in prayer that we don't lose heart as the people of God. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.